to give us this word. And I pray that you'll help us to keep tuning into what you want to say to us this morning, Father God. That there'll be something for each of us to take away and some hope to take into our community this week. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. We'll just give the kids a minute to... Uh to clear out. Very good. Uh, well done, those of you who've made it in this morning. I know um, some families are self-isolating. That's completely understandable in the circumstances. Um, but we believe, don't we, that our God is greater. Amen? Amen. Come on. <laughs> that was four of us. We believe that our God is greater. Amen? Amen. He is greater than any sickness or disease. He's greater than any virus. Um, there is nothing new under the sun. So even if this is a new virus, um, our God is still greater. And it, thus like any other sickness and disease, it is under the feet of Jesus, dealt with at the cross of Calvary. And we can believe and say it is well with my soul. Nevertheless, if you have got a cold and you're poorly, then you need to take the advice and self-isolate at home. And watch us on our amazing live stream. We've just um, made some improvements to our live streaming, and so hopefully it will be even better now. And it's no substitute for gathering together in church, but um, it's great if you're stuck at home and you want to be part of that um, church experience, then join us online. So thank you for joining us online, those who are watching this morning. If we get to the stage where the government does um, put a, a shutdown in place, um, other countries are doing it. Our government's taking a different um, viewpoint. But if that does happen, then what we'll probably do is um, try and encourage people to, get, to gather in small groups or watch parties and we'll still try and put on a live stream um, church worship experience, but people can gather in small groups in homes and watch the live stream and still be part of um, the community of believers. Because the Bible says we shouldn't forsake the gathering together of the brethren, doesn't it? And um, yeah, we want to follow um, government guidelines um, for people's health and well-being, and that's absolutely right and proper. But nevertheless, our God is still worthy to be praised. And he's just as worthy to be praised if you're at home than if you're here together. So um, let's keep praying, keep believing, keep praying and reaching out to those in our communities who are, are perhaps in that vulnerable age group. Um, this is a great example, uh, an opportunity for us to be an example to others of the love of Jesus and to check on our neighbours and those in our church community as well, and just to express the love of God and to help out if people need um, supplies. There was um, a real um, touching story on social media um, this week of a lady who was heading into a supermarket in the States and was called over um, by um, an elderly couple in their car. She was called over to the window, and the lady opened the window just to a fraction, and she said, I'm so sorry, but we've, um, I wondered if you could get me these things, and she passed her a little shopping list through the, the, the gap in the window with a $100 bill, and um, 
And she said, um, it's just that um, with all this going on, we're, we're so afraid of going into the supermarket. And we've been sat here in the car waiting for an hour for the right sort of person to pass by for us to be able to ask to get um, the shopping for us and not just run off with the money. And um, I thought, wow, you know, fear's really gripped the world at this time. Um, and um, we need to have compassion towards those who are struggling, who are anxious and fearful. And so try and be there for our neighbours and those in our communities. Anyway, I'll talk a little bit more about that just towards the, the end of the message. But we're in the middle of this series called Greater, and today's message is Greater Grace. We believe that God is calling us to a greater life, don't we? Amen? And this series is all about that greater life, um, and last week we spoke about greater wisdom from Proverbs 3. That message is on the app if you've not heard it, or you can look it up on Facebook if you do social media. But we need to also understand what it is to live in greater grace. And Jesus was a prime example, the perfect example of living a life in greater grace. He showed tremendous grace in the face of opposition in the face of difficult people, in the face of challenging um, socio-economic and political environment. We, um, you know, we often think that, um, that it's tough in these days to be able to um, share the gospel with others. But can you imagine the amount of suspicion and hostility around the time of Jesus with the Roman occupation and all that going on? The amount of suspicion that people would have had of one another. So it must have been really tough times for them to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus. And I think with all the uh, media and, and things available to us, that, um, that it's, it must be easier, easier than ever to be able to share the good news of Christ to be able to be an example of the love of Jesus um, in our lost world. Jesus showed incredible grace, and we can show the same grace as it is a gift from God. And um, let's have a look at this verse from Ephesians 4, verse 7. It says, But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Christ's gift was not small or insignificant. Christ's gift of grace was plentiful, was bountiful. And to each one of us, that measure of grace has been given. So we can truly say, I have the grace of God. I have the grace of Jesus Christ operating in my life. And flowing through me. And with that grace, we can, we can live in that grace when we're facing challenging times. But we can also demonstrate that grace to others. That undeserved favor. The Amplified Bible calls grace the unmerited favor of God. Given to each of us individually in proportion to the measure of Christ's rich and bounteous gift. So grace is that favor undeserved. When you show grace to another person, it's a gift of kindness and mercy that they don't deserve. But that's the model that God shows to us. His grace to us is that gift of kindness and mercy 
that we don't deserve. We can't earn God's love or do anything to make God love us more. No amount of jumping through hoops, singing louder, giving more, or even helping others can increase the love of God for us because his love for us is perfect and complete. And the amazing good news of Jesus is that um, the flip side of that coin is that no amount of sin or walking away from God can make God love us any less. And that is remarkable. Sin merely grieves God's heart because he sees the pain that it causes in our world. But God loves us infinitely and unceasingly by his grace. Um, Philip Yancey, famous Christian author, has written lots of books about grace. Um, one of the best known ones is called What's So Amazing About Grace? Look it up um, if you're interested. It's, um, it's a life-transforming book. It gives you a great understanding of um, the grace and the love of God. But he wrote another one called The Jesus I Never Knew. And this is what he says. Grace is absolute, inflexible, all-encompassing. It extends even to the people who nailed Jesus to the cross. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Were amongst the last words he spoke on earth. What a fantastic example of the love and the grace of God. That Jesus, even though he was being crucified and now to that cruel cross, actually prayed for those that were crucifying him. That's absolutely astounding love and grace. So why do we weigh ourselves and others with the weighing scales of whether we deserve the love of God or whether others do? Quite often, the enemy will bring thoughts into our minds of, of, of why perhaps God couldn't love us or shouldn't love us. I remember when I was at university um, sharing the gospel with um, one of my friends on the course. There were a group of us who used to sit together um, on the table at lunchtime and kind of debate things of theology um, on the religious studies course. And there was... Um, there was somebody from the Latter-day Saints, there was a Christadelphian, there was an agnostic, there was an atheist, there was something else as well that I've forgotten about, and then there was me. And um, it was almost like, um, and there was this kind of agnostic person who must have had like a target on their forehead, you know, it was like a race, who can convert them first? <laughs> but um, we had some amazing conversations, and I remember speaking to a member of this group and um, she said to me, but Andy, how could God ever love me? And I said, well, God does love you. He gave his only son to take the punishment and blame for the, for the sin in your life, for the wrong things that you've done. God does love you. And she said, but how could God love me? You've no idea what I've done in my life. You've no idea of the things that I've been involved with. And um, we had a bit of a chat about some of the tragic circumstances in her life and some of the things that she'd gotten involved with due to an abusive relationship. And um, she was heartbroken. And really, she needed to come to a point of receiving and accepting the love of God for her 
And it wasn't that she rejected God because she didn't believe in Scripture. She just couldn't understand how she could ever be forgiven for this weight of sin in her own life. You see, the way of the worldly way of thinking is that um, there's this kind of intergalactic set of weighing scales. And on the one hand is all of the sin and the terrible things that we've done. And on the other hand is the love of God. And when people have a real understanding of the, the weight of their sin, if you think of all the things wrong you've ever done in your life, you don't, probably don't want to think about that. that. That weight of sin is so weighed down on the scales. And then we think about the, the love of God on the other hand of the, the, the balanced scales, and we think, well, how could the love of God ever balance out that weight of sin and wrongdoing in my life? And we think about this scale all the time. But you know, the, the, the great thing about the good news is that the Lord, the love of the the love of the Saviour doesn't just balance out our sins, but he removes them completely. He, he removes the weight of our sin from the scales and does away with it once and for all. And then he dismantles the scales. So that whole system of, of earning favor, earning the love of God, is dismantled and done away with because of the love of Jesus. But yet we still have those scales in our heart and the way that we deal with ourselves and we think of ourselves and the way that we think of others and deal with others. Well, I'm going to, um, yeah, whilst that person's being kind to me or expressing love to me, well, then I'll express kindness and grace and love to them, but... As soon as their um, kindness side of the scale gets a bit light, well then, why should I invest in kindness and grace on my side? And we judge all the time according to these imaginary scales. But the love of God wants to do away with the scales and just express his grace and his love. That doesn't mean that we just carry on sinning because it really doesn't matter and the scales are gone. No, we choose to live a life of righteousness and holiness because we love God, not because we're trying to earn the favor of God on these imaginary scales. We need to learn to walk in the freedom of who we are in that love of God. I was reading recently um, one of um, Philip Yancey's books, and um, he speaks, it's a, a book called Rumors of Another World. And he speaks in it the, the story of grace from the Truth and Reconciliation Council. Remember, after the apartheid system in South Africa had been dismantled, then the Truth and Reconciliation Council was put in place to hear reports of some of the crimes against, um, predominantly, that the black people in that community had been committed. Uh, if you remember at the time, um, Bishop Desmond Tutu was involved in that whole process. And they had like court cases where the truth would come out and reconciliation would be brought about. And he tells this, this story from one of these hearings. And I'm going to read it to you. It says, at one Truth and Reconciliation Council hearing, a policeman named Van der Broek recounted an incident where he and other officers shot an 18-year-old boy and burned the body. Eight years later, 
Van der Broek returned to the same house and seized the boy's father. The wife was forced to watch as policemen bound her husband on a wood pile, poured gasoline over his body and ignited it. The courtroom grew hushed as the elderly woman who'd lost first her son and then her husband was given a chance to respond to the policemen and those listening in the courtroom. What do you want from Mr. Vanderbrook? The judge asked. She said she wanted Vanderbrook to go to the place where they'd burned her husband's body and gather up the dust so she could give him a decent burial. With his head down, the policeman nodded in silent agreement. Then she added a further response. Mr. Vanderbrook took all my family away from me, and I still have a lot of love to give. Twice a month, I would like for him to come to the ghetto where I live and spend a day with me so that I can be a mother to him. And I would like Mr. Vanderbrook to know that he is forgiven by God and that I forgive him too. I would like to embrace him so he can know my forgiveness is real. Spontaneously, some of the courtroom began singing Amazing Grace. And the elderly woman made her way forward to the witness stand. But Mr. Vanderbrook did not hear the hymn or see her approaching because he'd fainted, overwhelmed by her love. What a tremendous story of love and grace. When I read that, it really brought a lump to my throat, just thinking of the incredible courage that that must have taken. You see, his grace, the grace of God, is enough for us, even in difficult times. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Even in the most terrible times, even though tragedy and suffering come into our world, the Word of God says that His grace is sufficient for us, for you and me, that He will carry us through, that He will enable us to keep on going. So often when a crisis comes, we run the other way. We run from God. We look to God with a sense of judgment and and run in the opposite direction. But when we face tragedy and troublesome times and strain in our world, we need to run to God, come into his presence for help. You see, he loves us and he understands the struggles we go through. Look at this verse from Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15 and 16. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. We need to find mercy and grace in his presence and strength to be able to carry on. You know, none of us can really predict what's going to happen with the current situation with this global pandemic. The people who who say what the worst case scenario is, well, 
it doesn't really warrant listening to. It could just disappear over, almost overnight like the SARS virus did. And we need to pray into that and pray God's mercy and grace on our nation, on our community, on the world. But whatever comes, whatever befalls us as we sing, sang before, we need to stand in the grace of God, come into his presence, receive strength from him. Because if we turn from God, then we try and live in our own strength as damaged and wounded people. And we, we will not be able to carry on. But we press on in God, on knowing that he understands where we're coming from and doesn't reject us in our weakness. There's a great example in Scripture of, of someone who did exactly that, who, uh, who really struggled when a time, time of testing came and ran, ran from God. And we're going to be looking at a few passages from um, 1 Kings chapter 19, which tells us all about Elijah's meltdown. Things have been going really well for the prophet Elijah. He'd faced down King Ahab. He defeated the 450 prophets of Baal at that fantastic standoff. The power of God had fallen down and burned up the bull, the wood, even the stones and the water surrounding the sacrifice. He'd also prophesied a drought and then prophesied that rain would come after three and a half years. And he'd outrun a chariot. So things have been going pretty well for him. He'd been walking in the goodness of God. He'd been walking in that place of the miraculous. But then he had a crisis. A crisis of confidence and was intimidated by the enemy. Just like often we can be intimidated by the enemy. And he ran. And we're going to be looking at some passages and sharing a few thoughts on that. They'll be on the screen. But if you've got your Bibles, it's 1 Kings chapter 19. This is what it says. We'll read the first four verses. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he'd executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die, and said, It's enough now, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. So Elijah had heard the intimidating threat of the enemy, of Jezebel, and he'd fled. Interesting to see that on his way, as he's fleeing, he left his companion behind. In this context, self-isolation is not a good idea. But often, when we're in this situation where we're feeling under pressure, we're feeling under the cosh by the enemy, it can be so tempting to isolate ourselves and try and face it by, on our own. To isolate ourselves from church family. To isolate ourselves even from those friends who love us and who care for us. And we try and do it in our own strength. And we might stay off church or not bother going to impact group. You know, the impact groups are so important. 
They're part of how we run pastoral care in the church. The impact group leaders are there to, to love you, to encourage you, to support you. And so if you're going through trials and difficult times, get on the phone to your impact group leader. Or go to the group and say, guys, I really need your prayers. I've been facing this. Not do what Elijah did and so often what we did, which was just run in the opposite direction. You see, with no one else to reason with and to talk sense to us, look at what happens to Elijah. He ends up going off into the wilderness. He wants to die and he asks God to take his life. Thankfully, this is one of those prayers that wasn't answered for Elijah. In fact, Elijah is one of the few men from the Bible who never dies at all. It was, that was like God, almost God's ultimate last laugh, that you wanted to die then, guess what? You're never going to die. You're just going to be translated to heaven one particular day. You can imagine as he got onto that um, chariot, that heavenly chariot, and was carried off, that um, he must have smiled and thought of that prayer and how blessed he was that God's answer to that kill me now prayer was no. You see, to receive no as an answer to prayer um, can sometimes be better than the yes when we're praying something that's clearly outside of God's will. So Elijah had had enough. Even the Mount Carmel incident did not bring the nation to repentance and revival. It just brought him even more trouble. And you can understand after such a tremendous display of God's power and passion, you can understand and thinking, this is it. This is it. Surely now the nation will bow the knee to God. But they didn't. You see, you'd forgotten that people reject God despite the evidence, not because of the evidence. But God's grace was sufficient, and God provided a way forward for it. Let's read the next passage, verses 5 to 8. It says, Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a jar of water. So he ate and he drank, and he lay down again. So it's a bit like the hungry caterpillar, this, isn't it? Um, And the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. You see, when we're struggling, when we're under pressure, when we're suffering with anxiety and depression... There are certain practical keys that we need to keep us going. Sleep is one of them. Good, restful sleep. Healthy food and rest are the key to recovery. He didn't need a lecture. He needed the kindness of God. He didn't need a telling off. He needed those physical provisions and God providing for him a way to move forward. He didn't need a dressing down. But God cared for his practical needs, but then sent him on a very long walk. Exercise is really good for your mental health, isn't it? God sent him on a 200-mile trek. It's like, right, you're going to walk this out of your system. (laughs) And sent him off. 
Now, apparently, it doesn't even take that long to get to where he was going, but a bit like, a bit like the Israelites, who had to keep going round and round and round until they'd got their disobedience out of their system, he went on this mammoth walk. And I'm kind of hoping that God fed him a bit more on the way, because I know for me, two big dinners would not do me 40 days. But he, he took him on this journey to Mount Horeb, also known as Mount Sinai. And it's interesting, isn't it, that God didn't just expect an immediate, oh, come on, snap out of it, recovery. God didn't say, well, here we go. I've sent you an angel. I've sent you meals on wheels. Now I want to see you doing the glory dance and everything's well. God understood, don't touch your face. God understood <laughs> that, um, that he needed time to process, that he needed time to kind of work it out of his system so yeah, angelic visitation, meals on wheels, and a 200-mile walk was that he needed until he came to that point of encounter with God. He had to physically move forward so that he could spiritually and emotionally move forward from where he was because his head was a mess, let's face it. And let's see what it says, the next section, verses 9 to 10. And there he went into a cave. And spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I love it when God speaks the obvious. What are you doing here? He had an assignment he should have been on. But he was there. So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord, God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So he'd arrived at this place, the place of his divine exchange. And God spoke to him and asked him this question. What are you doing here? I wonder how many times God's asked you that same question. What are you doing here? In this place in your life, what are you doing here in this circumstances? You know that I called you to do this, that, and the other. What are you doing here? Because he had to see that where he was wasn't what God had called him to. What are you doing here? The interesting thing also is that God doesn't shut him up straight away. But God allows him to get it off his chest. And I want you to know that sometimes it's okay when you pray to have a little rant and get it off your chest. And just say, okay God, this is how it looks to me and this is how I feel. But we know that our feelings don't always tell us the truth, don't we? I'm sure you've... Let's look at a silly, simple example. I'm sure you've been in that circumstance where you've been queuing up for ages in Tesco's. Everyone's panicked buying a million toilet rolls and you're thinking, oh, this is so awful. I'm never going to shop here again because that's how you feel. But it's not really the truth because probably the next week you'll be back in Tesco's. Other supermarkets are out there. But whatever it is, our feelings do lie to us. Nevertheless, God allows Elijah to vent and say, well, this is what it looks like, and I'm the only one left, and everybody else is dead, even though that wasn't true at all. But God allowed him to let the brutal reality of his feelings out. He needed to talk. 
although his viewpoint was skewed and inaccurate, because he wasn't the only prophet left in the land, and he wasn't only by himself. Let's remember, he just left his servant behind, and that's why he was alone in the first place. You see, sometimes we're blinded by what seems like the reality of our feelings, but the reality of God is even greater. The truth of God's perspective is even greater. And God showed him tremendous grace, even though he'd moaned. And the next passage says, He said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake was a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it. He wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. Suddenly, a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, (laughs) Elijah? Is there an echo in this cave? What's going on? But so often, we await with great expectation some mega sign, some mega deed of God. But what God shows us here is we need to be in a position where we can hear the still small voice of him. For us, that's a place of prayer, a place of submission, a place of worship. And be prepared to listen to God, even if he asks us the pointed question again. What are you doing here? What are you doing? You see, Elijah was out of position. What are you doing here? Elijah was in the wrong place. Quite often, when we're in the wrong place... Metaphorically speaking, emotionally speaking, spiritually speaking, quite often when we're in the wrong place, it's because we've followed our own emotions and our own thoughts and guidance instead of following the truth of God's love and God's direction and God's guidance. But God's grace was enough for him, even in the midst of that. And if you read on the rest of the passage later on today, it tells you that God goes on to restore him and sets him on a new mission. In fact, his mission is to to line things up for the one that would follow after him. But first he has to go back the way he came. I find that really interesting that God says, right, here's your mission, here's the next step. But in order to do that, first you you see that path that you walked on before? Yeah, you've got to go back the way you came. And often when God restores us, when we've been out of position, we need to be prepared to go back to where we should have been in the first place in order for us to continue the mission of God. And that could be physically, that could be emotionally. You know what? People leave church from time to time, don't they? And for all sorts of reasons. Sometimes, sadly, people leave church offended. Newsflash, we all knew it. Sometimes I think God expects us to actually go back and apologize. Apologize for the offense or whatever caused that in the first place. 
And it might not be a church situation, it might be another situation, but if we're out of position, God wants to take us back to where we should be before he can move us on. And that might not be physically, that might be emotionally or metaphorically. It might need for some healing of relationships. What are you doing here? But God's grace was enough for him. God didn't, didn't give him a lecture. He said, right, go back the way you came and then do X, Y, and Z. He doesn't quite go on to do all the things God told him to do after that, but that's for another day. You see, we all need the grace of God during difficult times, just as we draw things to a close. We need the grace of God now in our lives, with all the worry in the world of the coronavirus. We need to choose to walk by faith and choose not to be swallowed up by the fear in society, by all the panic. It's good to watch the news and see what the latest guidance is, but probably not wise just to keep the news on 24-7 because the more you hear, the more anxiety will rise up within us and the more easy it is to fall into fear. You see, panic buying of toilet roll comes out of a desire to try and bring some control to a situation where people feel there is no control. And then as the rest of us go around the supermarkets and see all the empty shelves, you can so easily start to feel a bit anxious yourself and thinking, well, I normally buy a packet every two weeks, and I'm nearly at the end of my two weeks, and I'm going to need some soon but I am not going to chase down that old lady and rugby tackle her to the ground for the last roll of toilet paper. You see, that's panic. Um, the Word of God says God's not given us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven, cringing, and fawning fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and of a calm and well-balanced mind. And discipline and self control. So I don't have to fill my whole trolley with toilet rolls because that's not discipline, self controlled, or even being right minded. You see, when we start to feel the fear and anxiety, whatever it's about coming up, maybe for you it's financial or emotional or in your workplace or whatever the situation where you need the grace of God in operation, when that anxiety starts to rise up, that intimidation, for you, it won't be Jezebel, it'll be something else. But you need to take a stand and say, God's not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. This passage says, a calm and well-balanced mind. We may get overwhelmed from time to time, and there's no judgment in that. But we're here to love and support one another. And I want to encourage you, don't be like Elijah who left his companion on the wayside. But reach out to others if you're feeling overwhelmed. If you end up self-isolating due to this virus, reach out to us in the church and we can help you and support you and love you. I'll happily do a pastoral visit over the phone. <laughs> Drop some groceries at the end of your path, okay? But we can help you and support you. And whether you're watching us online, even if you're not part of this church and you need some love and help and support, well, we're here for you too. But let's be wise. Let's stand in the goodness of God. Let's stand in faith. In all that we know, know that God is greater. And sickness and disease were dealt with at the cross. Pray Psalm 91 over your families. No evil shall befall me. 
That's been the passage we've been looking at in, in the notice sheets over the last few weeks. And let's live a life of the greater grace of God in our lives and express to others. Let's stand together and pray as the worship team return. Lord, we thank you for the example of your grace in Scripture, that perfect grace that Jesus expressed. We thank you also, Lord, for the way you dealt with Elijah so graciously during difficult times. And Lord, we pray that your grace is sufficient for us, even at times of challenge and worry and anxiety. Lord, that you would be the one who sustains us, that you would be the one who leads us, and that we'd reach out to you and to others when we're feeling under pressure. Lord, let your grace flow in us and through us, we pray, and help us to love others with that perfect, unending love that you show so graciously, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.